Reasonable men agree the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast is a podcast. The Medicare podcast that doesn't leave an aftertaste. The only time he was wrong was the time he thought he made a mistake. It's Medicare expert Doug Jones. Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Drew McMillan. Thank you so much for your introduction to another exciting episode of the Medicare for the lazy man podcast. If uh, you don't know this, Drew McMillan is my Canadian nephew and we just had a family holiday. Uh, Of course, distance separates us and uh, the fear of going to Canada separates me from visiting my sister and her husband, but Drew's parents just celebrated their wedding anniversary. And uh, I got to tell you, I remember the day very clearly when we got together in Wayne, Illinois at the Dunham Woods Writing Club for their wedding and reception. Actually, I guess it was just their reception. We had the wedding in the Episcopal Church, the St. Charles Episcopal Church right down the road. And um, I, one of the um, uh, low points of my marriage was the big discussion with my wife yesterday as to how many years it had been since my youngest sister, Drew's mother, got married to her husband uh, and uh, Drew's father. And I won that battle. It was a uh, quite the contest of strength of wills and a lot of ciphering. And I won. It has been 35 years. So I'm thinking that Drew is probably older than I was giving him credit for. I was saying in a prior podcast that he was in his early twenties. I bet he's pushing 30. Uh, Can't tell you for sure, but uh, somewhere I have it noted and I will be able to, uh, to correct my error if I'm wrong, but anyway, happy anniversary to my sister, Emily and uh, her husband, who is a great guy. Also uh, kind of a drew uh, and Andy really Andrew. Scottish uh, family, McMillan is their last name. His father is still hanging on. Uh, He went to, uh, God, Drew's wedding was a few years ago, and he was there, and he uh, was wearing his kilt. Dr. McMillan, he doesn't practice anymore, uh, but he um, he looked okay to me. In fact, I saw a photograph of his, I want to say 100th birthday or maybe 95th birthday party that they had not too long ago. And he's uh, he's doing okay. So I'm hoping that he continues to do that for quite some time. Anyway, this is Doug Jones, your Medicare expert. I am here to help people feel confident about that uh, that transition from Obamacare to Medicare that you may be approaching. I'm guessing that you wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't have some interest in Medicare. So I'm not going to apologize for dwelling on Medicare facts and trivia when it comes down to it. I often um, call on Randy, uh, my uh, podcast engineer, to play our 30-second radio spot. And this is a little example of what listeners to the radio in some cities like Phoenix and Chicago have been able to hear in the past uh, when I feel like spending the dough and uh, Randy will play it right now. Just, just as soon as I clam up. 
Medicare is complicated. Medicare can be confusing. Medicare is no fun to study. Will you know what decisions to make when Medicare time arrives for you? My name is Doug Jones, and I wrote a book to help you figure it all out. Medicare for the Lazy Man. It's on sale at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can download and listen to my podcast, Medicare for the Lazy Man, wherever fine podcasts are given away free of charge. Medicare for the Lazy Man, simplest and easiest guide ever. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, we have uh, basically based this podcast and drawn most of its content from the book that I started writing a few years ago. I started writing it a few years ago when I finished it, and then I keep updating it. So the writing of the book is a fairly continuous process. But right now, the current book that's out is Medicare for the Lazy Man 2022. It has green 2022 numbers on the cover. And if you go to amazon.com, you can get a hardcover version. You can get a paperback. You can get a Kindle ebook version for a very, very reasonable price. And you can get an audible version. You get to listen to these dulcet tones reciting all the factual information in the book. So I suggest that if you have an interest in Medicare and you want to hear what one expert has to say about it, and you don't want to enrich him because I price the books on Amazon at a break-even price. Uh, I'm not making any money. I want you to eventually ask me to be your insurance agent for your, uh, your Medicare coverages. That would be your Medicare supplement and your pres- prescription drug plan. So I'm not looking to make any money off the book, but if you need an introduction to Medicare that's pretty simple and straightforward, And I would say go buy Medicare for the Lazy Man 2022. The subtitle says it all. It's the simplest and easiest guide ever. And now I want to drag kicking and screaming into the limelight my friend and podcast engineer, Randall Carson. How are you, Randy? I'm good, Doug. How are you doing this morning? I'm perky as all heck. So, well, you know what I say when I see you perky as all heck. Oh, boy, the bushy tail part. That's just the bright, uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed. This is a family podcast, as you know, and we, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we should be talking about my tail to that extent. <laughs> so I got I've got some information to share with you, given the fact that we were talking about kilts just a few seconds ago. Yes, we were. I was at a oh, what was it? some sort of a vendor show or a couple weeks ago. And we were obviously, uh, you knew that we had a booth there. So we were selling our wares and there's a, there's a fellow that quite often attends these vendor shows. That's part of the Phoenix Metro chamber of commerce. And I give them a little plug. Uh-huh. And, uh, he wears kilts. Okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so I, I think it's, well, he says they're comfortable as heck, but I and I can I can imagine, but I think he does it more as a branding thing than he does anything else. But yeah, it is kind of a conversation starter, I would imagine. You know, because everybody nobody knows his name, but everybody knows the kilt guy. Okay, yeah. so it, it's it's really a branding thing for him. So okay, roll forward after the vendor show. Okay. Margaret and I, my wife, were standing in line to get a an adult beverage, shall we say? Alrighty, let's say that. <laughs> for our more sensitive for our more sensitive for, listeners. 
Yes, that's right. And so we're standing in line and somebody came up and tapped Margaret on the shoulder and had talked to her, you know, earlier in the show. And somehow or another, she thought I was kilt guy. Really? Were you wearing a kilt at the time? No, I, I wasn't. And she goes, where's your skirt? And I go, holy bananas. You, you don't know anything about kilts, do you? And she goes, well, it's a, no, it's not a skirt lady. I'm, I'm, I'm partially Scottish and I take offense to that. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> I, but- I said, you know, have you ever, tr- let me give you the trivia about kilts. It's a kilt. It's not a skillet. It's not a skirt, not even right. close to a skirt. Right. And, and I said, do you know? And now here's the big throw. Here's the big thing that everybody always says about kilts. I said, now, what do you wear under a kilt? And she goes, I don't know. And I said, not a darn thing. Okay. There's your punchline. That's it. I'm, this is not a contest of wills, but I can top you on that one. Okay. Uh, David Letterman had, uh, who's the guy that the Australian, actually, he was an American that moved to Australia with his family when he was a kid. His father was afraid of his sons being drafted into the war in Vietnam. And so they all moved to, uh, from New York to Australia. Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Mel Gibson got to be a big time movie star. And then he, uh, he did the um, one movie that was a big deal about the Scottish clans fighting the English. Yeah. Back in the, I, it took place in the 1400s, maybe 1500s. Very primitive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What's the name of that movie? Oh, now that you've asked me, I can't remember. Okay. I know, I know exactly what. <laughs> what do you uh, call Braveheart. that? Is, Bra- thank Braveheart. You. Thank Braveheart. you so much. I've, what watched, do you call I've, that? Watched, I've watched it. I don't know how many times. I love the movie. Yeah, the movie's great. But he was promoting the movie when it was uh, first released. Uh, it had to be, what, 20, 25 years ago, maybe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So here's a young Mel Gibson sitting in the chair at David Letterman's desk. This is before David Letterman got to be a curmudgeonly old man. I, I had to quit watching him. But anyway, so he um, mentioned that to Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson said that a lot of the guys in the cast were actually um, British uh, soldiers. And they were mm-hmm. from special forces, you know, SAS and and units like that and the Coldstream Guards and units that had a lot of history, a lot of pride and a lot of um, responsibility for proper behavior and proper etiquette. And and uh, they certainly uh, held tradition in high esteem. And so <laughs> Mel Gibson said he said that subject came up about what uh, a Scotsman wears under his kilt. And one of these guys leaned over because he's not a real big guy and grabbed him by the throat and said, your mother's lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I can I can I can absolutely see something like that coming out of out of a Scotsman. Yep. And in, in, uh, I just to give credit where credit is due, I might have screwed it up and it might have been the wife uh, instead of the mother. So I don't know which one he said, I, and I'm not going to go look for that episode of David Letterman, but it was one of those two uh, potential characters. So I've got one more. Now, this is actually not just trivia. This is actual God's fact. How, how do you measure a kilt? Now, let's say that Doug Jones was going to go out and buy a kilt. Uh-huh. And you were going to see if it was the right length. Now, obviously, it would be tailored, but how, how would the... Uh, 
the tailor figure out how long your kilt needed to be. Now, this is true. Okay. Well, with the girls in high school, when I was in high school, occasionally in PE had to have their, they had to kneel on the gym floor to see if their skirts touched the floor. And that was the rec- the measurement of uh, whether the skirt was long enough or not. And so I'm, I'm uh, extrapolating that to Dr. McMillan when I saw him at Drew's wedding. And I'm going to say that his was about the same length. If he were to kneel on the gym floor in St. Charles high school, I think his kilt might have just touched the floor and that would have been the, the length for him. That's, I don't know. That's how- it. That's absolutely correct. You, oh, kneel, no you, kneel, you kneel down and your kilt has to touch the floor. Just touch the floor. I got and you. now to, next week, next time we have a podcast, remind me, and I've got some other interesting facts about Scotsmen and kilts and how they wear them. I can't wait. I cannot wait. So yes, please write that down. So we don't overlook it. I have an idea. We've, we've had hanging chads on many occasions that were never fulfilled in the following. I, I'm going to take a note on this because I really want to get this information out there. So nobody will ever, ever, ever call them a skirt again. Okay. Well, I'm, I'll certainly never do that. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, listen, let's get right down to it today. I'm pretty excited. I ran across an article that is, um, I think is going to shed sunshine and happiness in the Jones house. And then maybe all houses of relatives and like-minded people. Uh, the title of this article, and this is a fairly new article. It's about a week old. It's from July 18th of 2022. And the headline is conservative blocks unleash litigation to curb public health powers. Now, if you don't get that, I think what it's saying is that people are preparing to sue to stop people like Dr. Fauci, and the CDC, otherwise known as the mask Nazis, from overreaching and wielding more power than the uh, than our Constitution would be um, uh, allowing them under normal circumstances. And so, the uh, to get into the body of the article, and I have no way of knowing how this is going to turn out because, as you know, I don't really read ahead. I don't prepare an awful lot. I like to be surprised along with the audience. So what we have here is uh, uh, the body of the article below that headline says through a wave of panic related litigation, a trio. And I always say panic, uh, not pandemic. I don't use the word pandemic. This was an, a flat out panic that was orchestrated by one political party. A trio of small but mighty conservative legal blocks has rolled back public health authority at the local, state, and federal levels, recasting America's future battles against infectious diseases. Galvanized by what they've characterized as an overreach of COVID-related health orders issued amid the panic, lawyers from three overlapping spheres Conservative and libertarian think tanks, Republican state attorneys general, and religious liberty groups are aggressively taking on public health mandates and the government agencies charged with protecting community health. I don't think these cases have ever been about public health, said one managing attorney. Uh, He is uh, with the Liberty Justice Center, a Chicago-based libertarian litigation group. That's the arena where these decisions are being made, but it's the fundamental constitutional principles that underlie it that are an issue. 
through lawsuits filed around the country or by simply wielding the threat of legal action, these loosely affiliated groups have targeted individual counties, states, and in some cases set broader legal precedent. In Wisconsin, a conservative legal center won a case before the state Supreme Court stripping local health departments of the power to close schools to stem the spread of disease. In Missouri, the Republican state attorney general waged a campaign against school mask mandates. Most of the dozens of cases he filed were dismissed, but nonetheless, it had a chilling effect on school policies. In California, a lawsuit brought by religious groups challenging the health order that limited the size of both secular and non-secular in-home gatherings as COVID-19 surged made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. There, the conservative majority, bolstered by three staunchly conservative justices appointed by President Trump, issued an emergency injunction, finding the order violated the freedom to worship. Other cases have chipped away at the power of federal and state authorities to mandate COVID vaccines for certain categories of employees or a governor's ability to declare emergencies. This is such wonderful news. Although the three blocks are distinct, they share ties with the Federalist Society, a conservative legal juggernaut. They also share connections with the State Policy Network and Umbrella Organization for Conservative and Libertarian Think Tanks and the SPN-fostered American Jurists Link. I don't know who any of these people are. I'm just glad they're out there doing this kind of work, and I wonder why we haven't been hearing more about this. But it goes on to say their legal efforts have gained traction with federal judiciary transformed by Republican congressional leaders who strategically stonewalled judicial appointments in the final years of Democratic President Barack Obama's second term. That put his Republican successor, Trump, in position to fill hundreds of judicial vacancies. I don't think that's true. I don't think the Republicans deliberately stonewalled judicial appointments. I think the Democrats, back when Obama was president, just didn't care. I had always heard about vacancies, hundreds and hundreds of federal judicial vacancies that the uh, Democrats just didn't bother to fill. And then I heard that when Trump took office, he was surprised, pleasantly surprised at the opportunity that all of these judicial vacancies presented to him uh, to uh, fill them with uh, right thinking judges, which I applaud. So in uh, in my recollection, this article is inaccurate when it says that the Republican stonewalled Democratic efforts to fill those seats. But even if they did, good for them. Uh, so anyway, um, let's see. Uh, you have civil servants up against a machine that has a singular focus, and that is incredibly challenging to deal with, said a uh, chief of government and public affairs for the National Association of County and City Health Officials. That's an organization. Who knew? All told, the COVID area litigation has altered not just the government response to this panic. The public health experts say it has endangered the fundamental tools that public health workers have utilized for decades to protect community health. Mandatory vaccinations for public school children against devastating diseases like measles and polio, local officials' ability to issue health orders in an emergency, basic investigative tactics used to monitor the spread of infectious diseases, and the use of quarantines to stem that spread. Just as concerning to those bureaucrats, said multiple public health experts, 
is how the upended legal landscape will impact the nation's emergency response in future panics. This will come back to haunt America, said uh, a, a, an obviously upset person who is the faculty director of Georgetown University's O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law. We will rue the day when we have other public health emergencies and we're simply unable to act decisively and rapidly. And let me take uh, a moment here to say that I am not against having public officials warn us to take appropriate action if there comes another panic, or in this case, pandemic. My family was uh, stricken with the disastrous results of polio and measles, and I uh, have never had to worry about those things because of well-designed vaccines. And it's my feeling that a a voluntary program of uh, vaccines that are effective and that uh, don't have side effects uh, is certainly something that responsible people should be uh, participating in voluntarily. Unfortunately, that's not the case with the, uh, the people who are forcing the current vaccination uh, program on employees, you know, either you're fired or get vaccinated. And it's just not, uh, hasn't been the kind of thing that freedom loving people uh, would normally be able to, uh, uh, to uh, talk about, to debate and to uh, go along with voluntarily. This was the heavy handed um, government uh, trying to squash and uh, repress the free will of the people and not allowing for open debate. In fact, lying about the consequences of their and the uh, efficacy of their vaccines. And I don't like that. Now, this article goes on and on and on, but I see by the old clock on the wall that we're getting pretty close to the uh, end of our time with you today. So I'm going to probably read ahead and see if there's anything more interesting and maybe use it in another podcast episode. But uh, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you share my joy that the legal eagles or the legal beagles are uh, at work behind the scenes in order to uh, help us avoid the misery that they tried to put us through this uh, last panic. Randy, what do you think about this? Are you, uh, uh, like me, a freedom-loving uh, <laughs> member of society? or All, all of those, yes, all of those. I'm I, glad uh, to hear it. I can't stand some of the directions some things go, but, you know, hey, I do the best I can, and... Uh, Bottom line is I'm hoping beyond hope that it's going to get better. It can't keep getting any worse. Can it? (laughs) Well, you know, something I I make a lot of fun of lawyers and I have a lot of negative things to say about them, but the lawyers, some lawyers are good guys. And these lawyers are working in our defense uh, behind the scenes, low profile to make sure that we are not, that our freedoms aren't taken away by a bunch of uh, megalomaniacs, because that's what we saw over the last two years. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Well, a couple things I want to wrap up before we sign off for today, because we are coming into the station here. The fuel is running low, so I need to wrap up a few things. Do me a favor, everybody, and write Doug some email. He loves email, and you can reach him at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. Or as he mentioned earlier in the podcast, don't miss your chance to get a copy of the 2022 version 
of Medicare for the Lazy Man on Amazon.com. And that, by the way, has green numbers. Or get an audio version or a Kindle version. Now, I, I do have to point out that we had to lower Doug's uh, house a little bit today because the, <laughs> the cloud layer is quite low today. So instead of running at about 15,000 feet, I think we're down about three. It's, it's nice just, to know that we can do that. that we can move <laughs> it up, move it down. Yeah. So this is a really, really sophisticated fortress of solitude. But just you, just you remember that Doug is looking out his window and looking after you and all things Medicare and all things Medicare supplements. Now, he's also uh, the reverse of that, making sure the advantage people don't get anywhere close. But that's that's a whole nother topic. So <laughs> you have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Cave Creek, Arizona, originally from Oklahoma, residing in Cave Creek now at about, oh, let's let's say, 3000 feet today. That's great. That's even lower than it really is. I think <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye.